because they kept coming back in the same leg. They'd take it out. I'd have a reprieve of maybe a year or a year and a half. And again, I'd get back to dancing. I'd get back to working. And then we'd come back higher up again, the femur, the hip. And, you know, so over the years, I had three operations. <laughs> and the reason I say that is that I had to find different ways to enjoy music and to enjoy the rhythm of that. Hello and welcome to the Social Fabric Podcast with me, Andreas Splendori, and this week my guest is Tanya Turner. Tanya is an amputee with a wonderful story about dancing, music and much more. I've been away from the podcast for the last number of months for a number of reasons, but I'm now back and there's a few things in stores, including a live podcast with Dermot Whelan on the 16th of November in the Whale Tears in Greystones. There are a few more to come up, uh, but this is the next one. So please join me. Uh, some tickets are still available. The title tune is Happy and Shiny by The Roundabouts. Please subscribe and share. It's the only way podcasts like this have a chance to survive. For more information and more episodes, please visit socialfabric.ie. Thank you. <laughs> it's always it's it. always the best part of it. Oh, but, you think uh, when I just like talk talk rubbish? Yeah, <laughs> no. Absolutely, a- anything. There's no rubbish talk. It's just talk. So <laughs> anything will do. Yeah. But tell me something. How yeah. are you today? I'm okay. I'm a bit sort of. Um, I've got sort of manic energy at this point. I don't know why. <laughs> like, usually I'm quite. I have been very slow the last few days, and now it's sort of. Well, it's also, you know, it's nice to be um, chatting as well, but it's like that kind of, oh, will I say something really crazy or, you know, like you just never know. And I've been I've been um, on RT Radio 1, I've been on like a few different things in the past, but it's always nerve wracking beforehand, like, you know, but I'm well, I'm well. (laughs) That's good. Anyway, don't don't worry about anything. This is just a lovely (laughs) chat we're going to have. Absolutely. Every now and then, I might mute myself because there's a bit of noise in the office today. Sure. But uh, when you're chatting, <laughs> I might I might just mute myself. But uh, but listen, yeah. first of all, thanks a million for uh, coming to the oh. show. Uh, it's always uh, oh, thank you for having me. To, no, it's always great to hear uh, stories of people, and I know nothing about you other than the couple <laughs> of things that Charlie told me. But that's the way I like it. Mm. I, I like to explore <laughs> through a conversation. So. And um, perhaps tell us a little bit about, uh, I know you're, you're living in Wexford or you've been, you grew up in Wexford and all. Just yeah. give us a bit of a background, just a little bit of who's Tanya. Sure. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, obviously I am Tanya. Uh, I was born actually Tatiana, my full name, because my mom's from Czech Republic and was named after her best friend. And she and my, my dad's from England. And as my dad always said, I'm half English, half Czech and 100% Irish <laughs> and bad at math. Um, but no, it's like, it, you know, my parents, like my mom came to Czech Republic and my dad from England, but they lived there and then they moved here when I was two. So I don't remember, you know, I, I was born in London and I don't really remember that, like, but I'm proud of all of it. And I kind of feel like I'm from everywhere and nowhere, <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, it's interesting because I learned all these Irish songs because my dad was so into that. He loves music. He was a ginger before he turned white. You know, he's got like he's uh, freckly. You know, he actually just looks so Irish. I'm pretty sure that my great grandmother was. 
so it all in the end it's where you feel at home you know and that's this is where I grew up and I feel the Irish songs it's so funny like as I say you can say what you like about blood and ancestry and things but this is where I feel at home you know so that's where I grew up in Wexford and I did Irish dancing I did you know Kayleigh's I did all the singing I've always loved music and dance and yeah I mean there's a whole story that comes from there I don't know if you want to go into that but the irony of the fact that I love dancing <laughs> later on certain things happen so I know absolutely I we'll get into that I'd love to know a little bit more about it um I know you came here when you were two but uh having uh you know your mom's from Czech Republic your dad from England how what's the bond to Czech Republic for you I know you know you grew up in Ireland but what what it's like Oh, I mean, it's actually huge because uh, I think my mom, like, even though she like she speaks perfect English, both of my parents are actually translators, Czech to English, English to Czech. Um, uh, but and they had a team of that. But she, you know, she really brought that, uh, you know, Czech culture. And so we had Czech food. I mean, that was a huge part of growing up. I was the only person I knew in my class that loved cabbage. Because my mom made it like, you know, she'd cook it with apples and cinnamon or like cloves or, you know, like different or caraway seeds. And we had her uh, sourdough bread growing up. We had like just so much tradition around food and even the Czech songs and we would sing together. Um, I find that so important. And as I say, I very much immerse myself in the Irish culture, but I have that. I have all of those sides. And on top of which, I visited my parents in England. So it's it's all mixed. But yeah, the tech culture is really important. We even had the costumes. Like when I was 10, I had this uh, tech costume with the puffy sleeves and the big red dress and, you know, like the plaits. And it's just, it's all part of me, you know, it's all, I'm, I'm very proud to have all that. And I speak Czech as well. That's wonderful. And I know you love languages <laughs> and obviously you know, oh, your yeah. parents both be translators. Tell me about that with the language, because it's mm -hmm. um, it, it's a big thing for me, you know, to, uh, knowing two languages, but it, it's an intro into the culture. Right. And uh, what, what you speak quite a few languages or you study a few languages. Tell me a bit about how that makes yeah. you and what it does for you. Yeah, I mean, it's actually, I so agree with you about how it gives you a window into a culture. I've always found that because like on the one hand, there's the kind of double-edged sword where you grow up being very different and you know that, you know, and I mean, I was half, it wasn't the Czech side, it was the English side that was a problem in the rural village I grew up in, <laughs> who were taught about 1798 and, you know, it was a big thing and I, I was, you know, it was difficult, but, you know, as I grew older, I started to realize it was a boon and it was something that I could having been bilingual, I could just kind of absorb other languages quite quickly. And whilst I don't think I speak any of them completely fluently, because uh, <laughs> I always think there's so much more to learn, but I have, I have French, a bit of German, Polish, Czech and Russian. And again, quite a few of them are rusty, but I love, I love renewing them. And I, I love meeting people from other places and knowing that, you know, they may be struggling a bit in English maybe, but as soon as I speak a bit of their language, their face lights up and they can kind of give a bit more of themselves. And there's suddenly like a little kind of bridge, you know, that you have between you. I just love that. And when I go back to Czech Republic, I've been quite a lot, you know, and I lived there for a while. 
I honestly, initially, I would go on to the Charles Bridge in Prague and I'd hear these tech voices and say, oh, I wonder, is it family? That must be my brother. Or that must be my cousin. And I was like, it felt like home as well. You know, it just has a strong feeling of like, I want to be part of this as well. You know, so and there's a melon. There's a kind of funny sort of bittersweet melancholy because you don't completely fit in anywhere. That's what I find is funny. Like I could be at a Shannon singing. I could be at a, a trad session and I can play a bit and I can sing, but I'm not completely that you know <laughs> I'm not completely from there you know so I don't have that same ingrained and the same in Czech Republic then yeah I can sing the songs but I'm not you know it's it's a funny thing I love though having that window into it definitely yeah. you know you become a bit of everything really nothing <laughs> of everything no that was great it, it is it it's it but I, I want to stay with that for a second so I'm curious about your um uh, rural Wexford and having this want you know, of of knowing people and talking to people and new you know having the two cultures yeah. the three cultures you know and all of a sudden you're in rural Wexford and uh, tell me a bit more about Tanya in her teenage years or oh. <laughs> oh no there's a question I wouldn't go back to my teenage years if you paid me honestly a million euro I swear <laughs> but like it's not never it's never all bad I I wasn't school. Was I mean who who I don't know I, if I meet someone who loves school that's fine but I didn't and uh, and it's no offense to the school and and yeah and again I had like I say nothing's ever black and white I loved art I loved languages I had wonderful teachers but there was a very much a feeling of kind of an outsider you know in a place that was I was a Catholic school it was you know I wasn't <laughs> you know and I I mean I was very open but there was this feeling of yeah I actually the way I would go through mass was I would play music in it. So I'd play violin or I'd sing up on the balcony and it wouldn't be so obvious that I wasn't having communion, you know, but people, you know, people knew. And I suppose over the years, it got less strange to have different people. We had then African Muslim girls coming in as well. But it, it was, yeah, it was definitely in a minority. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, I think outside of school, I had all of these interests, you know, art and orchestra and singing and choirs and I just that was always my thing I was almost always on that periphery where yeah studying was fine but I loved all that extracurricular like you know dancing and singing and playing instruments and being part of a kind of a big group like that you know and there was always different people in those you weren't you were never the one weirdo (laughs) 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 you know Absolutely. And so so where did where does the love of music come from I know you mentioned your dad loved his Irish music uh, but where does it come from? Yeah, it's funny. It's like as soon as you mentioned my dad, I can see him playing the spoons along with the with any kind of like with the Dubliners. We had all those records growing up. We had we were a little bit almost like in a generation before because we had no television. We had a record player, like a fireplace there that we'd sit in front of, <laughs> and we sang a lot of songs. And I did, I painted, ran around in the tree, uh, you know, in the garden up in the trees. I mean, we had a computer. We weren't completely, you know, backwards. Like we even had a bit of really bad internet. But like, <laughs> but a lot of the time was spent kind of doing our own thing. And yeah, my dad kind of was the instigator of me learning the violin. I started at nine. And in fairness, I was a really bad pupil. Like I love playing. I hate practicing. <laughs> I just hated it to the point where I'd have to be nearly bribed. He's like, look, if you practice this much, I have a little present here. <laughs> it's just terrible. But, you know, I, I, I just... It was it was something I loved. I loved doing, but I hated being told to do it, you know, that way. So I've actually like taught myself over the years a little bit more to kind of enjoy music more. But it just when it's when it's kind of enforced. Like, but my yeah, my dad loved the singing and he taught us a lot of the songs. And my my mom actually knew Czech songs and French songs. 
and I learned them phonetically before I knew what they meant. And I know that there's some that were a bit dodgy and I learned that later on. <laughs> it's like all like double, double meanings. And, but um, yeah, I just always loved singing from as long as I can remember, you know, and then the, the Irish dancing, then I, I led on to dancing later in college as well. Uh, yeah. That's interesting. The picture you you painted of your family there and the fireplace and no television. And I was just having a conversation a couple of days ago with somebody mm. uh, about how sometimes when you're in even on holiday, or whatever, with with your kids, mm. and there's nothing to do. It's fabulous because that nothing to do <laughs> creates stuff yeah. to do, right? So, and then just mm. that picture of you sitting there. How many of you in the family? If you don't mind me asking, how many? Yeah, the problem. Uh, six six children um so that's eight of us all together now we weren't always in the house at the same time I think my older sister was quite a bit older and you know she'd left home by that point but yeah like there's always quite a full house so I have like six uh five brothers and sisters and eight nieces and nephews so <clears throat> it's it's brilliant but um yeah we always had something going on you know my brother two of my brothers play guitar one of them has become an actual that's his full-time job is a musician and he goes all around the world playing you know busking a lot but also playing in people's living rooms and things so and my, my sister plays double bass and piano uh we would actually just jam together at christmas where we're kind of mad that like i'm not saying we don't ever like sit on our phone or look at a screen but ultimately you know the time is kind of precious and they're not going to be together that long so you usually have a good jam you know <laughs> nice, nice. Love it. tell me something the other love of uh you know i i, I totally get that um uh, school wasn't for you and that's the the, the best uh, tech talk ever yeah. is the ken robinson when he talks about uh, you know if you haven't seen it it's, it's the best one to see it's uh, he talks about yeah. uh, the importance of teaching but not teaching from the the neck up, you know. It says some of us like to work with our bodies, you know. Being dancing, he actually talks about dancing as yeah. a, uh, the one thing where uh, this girl was able to express herself through dancing, and school wasn't for her, and she became the best choreographer in the world. Um, but tell me about your uh, moment when you were sitting in the back, fidgeting in the back of the class, and fidgeting because you couldn't wait to get out. Yes, this is so interesting because I've actually been recently I was out with my this lovely dance group that I've been part of for uh, since 2020 and they're an interable dance group as I'm going to explain probably about <laughs> myself more about that uh, and my body but the fact is that this woman who, who sort of started this group and, and is my colleague and mentor Tara Brandle she's just like she she's been uh, just wonderful dancer and influence but basically we had a week there where we were kind of it sounds crazy but we were dancing and also having people that were climate scientists and activists coming in it was a total experiment and it's 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 about change and hope but it's people talking about the environment and how we can help the world but as they were talking we were dancing and there was no music but we just heard them talk and it's funny how the human voice has these sort of you know intonations and rhythms and vice versa the people said we sounded like nature you know with the the feet creaking on the wood or the wind through the, through the windows and the thing is my colleague Tara she learns much better kinesthetically she learns much better through movement you know so she said when she was dancing she absorbed all that these scientists were saying much better than she ever did when she was sat in school and it's interesting that and I found that I was we could paint as well while the people were talking you could paint watercolors and I when I did that I could absorb stuff better as well because I'm very visual so you know I would see in my mind I could see the images and I could I could absorb what they were saying so I think so many people have different ways of learning 
you know, and it's not just one box. It's not just everybody sits in the same row and learns. It's a shame that we've put all <laughs> humanity or all people into this one rigid little box. And I know it's changing. I know it's improving. But I must say, when I was in school, it was very much like you sit there and you, you take it in. And a lot of people can't do that. As you say, you need to be able to move and or move or or just find different ways of learning because it's a shame to make it something where it's so rigid that you can't fit in you know it's a shame uh, yeah it's 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 funny you mentioned Shannon singing earlier and I was at, I was uh, I was at uh, Peter Gabriel's uh, gig the other night and uh, he started a gig with uh, him and all the musicians sitting around a, a fire you know yeah this fire mm -hmm. And and he's singing, and that's really how we did storytelling, right? For for centuries and millennia, and before mm. we could even talk, and uh, you know, yeah. he does display in the fact that uh, you know, sounds came before actual words and alphabets and so on and mm. so forth. Uh, and Shannon, in a way, is that right? The Shannon singing is very much about storytelling as a group, and mm. uh, you know, you might not sing, but you might play the spoons or whatever it may be. And uh, and so tell me about your dancing there uh, growing up. So what, what did you do? Classical? What, what kind of dancing did you do? So I never did it kind of, as you'd say, professionally, quote unquote, but I just did it kind of for fun. Now, the Irish dancing, again, I think it was fun for a few years. We'd cycle there because we didn't have a car either. I remember <laughs> we'd cycle to the lessons with my sister and we'd do that. But I was never, I was terrified of the competitions and I never went for that, for the session that. But I used to sing it. I sang in a few fresh calls. Now I remember that <laughs> some of the some of the songs terrifying. But um, yeah, that was kind of the beginning. And then after that, I didn't I didn't sort of do a whole lot until I went to college and I was seventeen. Um, and I think outside of college, there was this whole like ballroom dancing. Like there was a whole society of ballroom dancing. You could pay like two euro a week and then take a few lessons with them so I was doing all the you know the, the cha mambo the cha-cha the tango the waltz you know various things and um that really sparked a real love in me of like the rhythm and the feel of that and then unfortunately as time went by I got uh, health problems and my left leg <clears throat> got uh I just got very painful over a couple of years like from 18 and then I was dancing so much and I'd feel like it keeps swelling on me and I kept feeling a lot of pain know why again the physio didn't know why they kept saying it's probably the same and then I completely like an accident blessing in disguise moment where I fell off my bike in Drumcondra ended up getting an x-ray and it was a tumor in my knee so honestly and I didn't have a clue and it was actually probably quite big at that point you know it's probably like that in my knee and essentially they're like well we're gonna have to have an operation soon enough and you know get it out and that was the beginning of a very long road that went on for many many years after because they kept coming back in the same leg they take it out I'd have a reprieve of maybe a year or a year and a half and again I'd get back to dancing I'd get back to working and then we'd come back higher up again the femur the hip and you know so over the years I had three operations oh, <laughs> and the reason I say that is that I had to find different ways to enjoy music and to enjoy the rhythm of that because I found African drumming because I couldn't dance very well. I had a lot, you know, I just I just couldn't do it the same way as I had for for a good 10 years or so. And so I thought, well, look, this uh, someone suggested African drumming and I, I started doing it in Dublin. And I was going to say with a guy who looks a little bit like you, Tom Quinn, <laughs> he's from Wicklow. I don't know what it is for the beard, but he's a lovely man. And he did this African drumming. And then over the years, I did it in Galway when I lived there. And 
so beautiful like it made me feel like I had the dance back in my body even if I couldn't you know do all of the the moves at the time and yeah I don't know if you want me to go into all the uh the lovely um <laughs> medical side here well absolutely um what I would definitely tell us more about that I'm just curious about the so you're quite young and you're mm. you're enjoying dancing you're at college you're doing all the things that the young person needs to do and this love of dancing gets yep. battered because of what you initially thought was just a bit of a, a pain in your leg well, quite a big pain and now it's a tumor that's yeah. moving up the leg um and how long is that mm. long road you mentioned three operations how long is they from the yeah. moment you discovered it to tell us more then what yeah. happened sure sure um yeah get into the lovely detail too no i i actually i've told it so many times now it's you know it's actually doesn't bother me very much um but I'd say they discovered it in 2007 and that was when I fell off the bike and then uh, had, as I say, like they kind of patched me up and I, 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 funnily enough, it went really dramatic from that moment. Like I fell off the bike, had the x-ray and then they said, now take it easy for a couple of months because we are just until we get you the appointment for the surgery. Don't do anything crazy, like go skiing. And I said, no, 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 I'm not. But I'm going to go to France and visit my friend. Is that all right? Like I had it booked like ages ago and I'm a student. I can't afford it. I really wanted to go. I said, OK, as long as you don't, you know, just be careful. Went off on crutches. And the second day I was at her place, went down to the courtyard where she lives, slipped on a piece of plastic and broke my leg in two places. And the same one, you know, and then ended up in a oh, Paris hospital and like, oh, more like all the all the drama. And then I had to go home and they're like, well, well done. You know, you didn't go skiing, but you still managed to do something completely like dramatic. So then I was in a cast for a couple of months and finally got the, that, that operation. So fast forward to... 2010 and I had another operation then because it had come back and this time they replaced the knee and the femur with metal I mean I was bionic at that point you know starting to be not yet as fully bionic but that was 2010 and then I actually because they were afraid this was actually a recurring tumor even though they didn't know whether it was full-on cancer at this point they said we want to be sure we did chemotherapy for six months so this is a lovely long <laughs> lovely long story but that I did do that and so funnily enough I now have a lot of empathy for quite a range of people in the world and I don't say that flippantly but I it was bloody hard I mean it never it's it's, it's never easy going through that sort of you know the chemotherapy and everything and yeah I, I just I feel like I can talk to a lot of people now about this kind of side of life and thank I'm so grateful for all of these volunteer places in Ireland for example in Enniscorthy in Wexford there's a hope centre and they're just volunteer to help people with the cancer and I would go in there to give you a big duvet and like some music and a big cup of tea and it didn't matter what state you were in they just accepted you in there and that was just uh, I mean absolute lifeline and it has been so anyway, and then again, so I had another break after that, I was able to go to France and live there and work for a number of years, got, got quite fluent in French. But again, it, it keeps expanding to the point where I'm still not fluent now. You know, the way the young people have that slang. Anyway, I'm trying to arrange it in my mind so I don't confuse you and everyone listening here with all the timeline. So, yeah, 2010 was the operation, then chemotherapy for six months. And then I had a long break of about about seven years actually seven years it went by and that's the point after five years or so they actually say you're all clear like they came back to me and said like you don't need any x-rays now you know but that's pretty much where they say that's okay you're good to go so I have to say I traveled around and I was in Prague and as I was in Prague the pain came back 
And I knew, like I could, I could tell, but I was kind of nearly like, oh no, and not again, I'm in denial, it's not happening. But the pain was in my hip this time. And so luckily I had, I went and had an x-ray with my prosthetist, like with the people who did all of the operations, Papa actually there, and the lovely, lovely people in there. And there was, um, the tumor was back in the hip. So this was, this was it. And they, they actually, at that point, I did a, a whole operation to replace hip femur and knee, like it took eight hours. And that was in um, April of 2017. And they thought that that would be the last one and that would replace everything all gone. But that's the big but there. Three months later, they discovered it was actually it's in the it's already in the surrounding tissue, the muscles. There's no way of stopping that. There's no more replacing. They just had to remove the whole leg. So I was amputated in October 2017 and my oh, including the hip, all the whole leg gone. Now, I will say just to kind of Look, I'm sure people have black humor out there. I don't know if they've encountered mine, but I'm terrible. Like I was making this joke within a few months after and my brother was like, OK, well, whatever makes you feel better. I call it Lego. Now, like, bear with me here because my, my, <laughs> my surgeon did all the operations, including the last one. And I felt kind of sorry for him. Now, of course, I was the one I felt most sorry for. But like, he, he did this whole thing and he replaced everything. So and he's a brilliant surgeon. Like, honestly, I couldn't imagine having a better one and then he had to take all his work out and it's like leg oh I know it's terrible isn't it it's terrible but I had to I had to I had to have black humor you know that way like the Czechs are really good at it like Czech people have such dark humor and it comes through everything and honestly it helped me through like my mom is the same it's just like no matter what happens the worst could happen and you still kind of you kind of laugh you kind of have to laugh at some side of it you know yeah well, uh, well, no, no, yeah. it's great. And I was actually, uh, I was actually reading a book this, this morning about Stoics, and that's really yeah. much the Stoicism and you know the view of life. You know, if it's good, it's good. If it isn't, well, you know, figure it out. Now, I know it's Have easy for me to say. It's easy for me to say. <laughs> no, so no. I, but no, no. Uh, well, first of all, thanks so much for sharing all that. So it was a long road. It was ten years. Mm. Um, and just before we go back to the, you know, now you're, do you describe yourself as an amputee? I would. And funny enough, this is the, the question I sometimes get from other people that have a disability. Apparently, it's quite an important question. They say, are you a disabled person or are you someone with a disability? I never really thought of it. I immediately said a person with a disability because I'm still a person. I just happen to have a disability. And I'm also, I know that I'm still exactly the same as I always was. And of course, you know, there's no question that your identity takes a massive blow at that point. But in fairness, I'd had 10 years of hobbling. I'd had 10 years of having a leg that wasn't working. And you you already have a feeling of being, I don't know, I don't want to say less than, but you do. You feel like you can do less than average for a long, long time. So the kind of irony is I was in a lot less pain after I was amputated than I had been in 10 years. Like I suddenly had a lot more freedom. Now, of course, I had to get used to it. I had to do a lot of self-care. I had to do a lot of therapy. I had to do all of these, you know, huge amount of self-care, you know, to actually come back to a place of stability. And I remember who I am and, you know, but at the same time, as I got better, as my body kind of, you know, it's so resilient, the human body, it's kind of incredible. Like it adapts almost to anything. And once I gotten past the initial recovery and everything, I found that I could sit more comfortably because I actually didn't mention, but my leg wasn't bending for about 10 years either. It was like so much scar tissue. It was about 30, 30 degrees was about the max I could get out of my knee, <laughs> you know? So any kind of sitting 
walking, traveling, sitting in a plane, you know, all of that, that was, it was incredibly uncomfortable. You know, it just wasn't, it wasn't a nice way to kind of um, live on a general basis. So, so yeah. So funnily enough, now that I, I regained all that strength and I swear it's it like your, your body just a dance and I have these arms now, you wouldn't mess with me, you know, on a, in a dark mm -hmm. alleyway, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm like I'm really small I'm actually really short but like on it yeah you wouldn't know like the amount of strength I have <laughs> I'm in six years on crutches but it's it's funny the strength that you don't realize you have in you until it's tested yeah. that way, you know uh, no that, it's an important question too because again how you describe yourself or how uh, and uh, how well is you know person with disability or disabled person mm. and, and and again I was reading about um um I was reading about uh, Glastonbury uh, at the weekend, and Louis Capaldi did a, a sesh, and there was um, a really interesting article in the Guardian talking about how finally they said disability was brought on the large stage, which is the largest stage in the world for music. Um, obviously, mm -hmm. he talked about his Tourette's and he talked about his uh, anxiety and every other thing that he that that for for so long have been that hidden disability that we don't talk mm -hmm. about um but with you now is, is not hidden at all so you're on stage i just just watched your video um i watched mm -hmm. one of the videos uh, the uh phoenix swings uh of that dance and it's it's, it's beautiful and it's beautiful and it's beautifully done and lovely piece of music as well and so how what is it what is it that you want to do with you with you know who you are and obviously, I know you're very creative and between your singing, your dancing and your art and everything else. But what is it that you would like to achieve as well, you know, from, from who you are, a person with a disability? Yeah. What is it that, yeah. that comes? It's a really good question. And it's been I've been thinking about it so much lately because it's funny you say that I'm it's not hidden and that's so true and it's ironic as well that I grew up a really shy child you know I was and a shy teenager a shy young adult I was so I didn't want to be seen I didn't want to stand out I wanted to completely fit in and that's probably a reaction to being different from the very start and yeah life just said no you're going to be seen <laughs> and you're going to be seen for good, whatever, good, bad, whatever. People are going to look at you. So what are you going to do with that? You know, that's genuinely the question that had been coming back again and again. And I find it's funny. It's not just one answer, but it comes in a, a number of ways. I feel like the more, the stronger I get in my body, but also in my mind and then emotionally, I feel like losing the leg has been, I don't know how to say this, but it's one of the best things like that's formed me as a human being because not only can I have empathy for a lot more people but I feel like I'm already communicative anyway I always was able to chat like talk the hind legs off a donkey but I just want to reach people I want to be able to be the person that I needed when I was younger and I want to be the person that I would have loved to have seen when I had the amputation like the kind of person that I could reach out to even at one point, I wanted to make a helpline I swear because I couldn't reach an amputee helpline in Ireland like I couldn't reach anyone for months and it says it's there, but it doesn't. <laughs> and again, no offense to it. It probably was just something that was maybe had, you know, maybe it was just it just fallen apart. But it's so hard to find that kind of kindred spirit that you need someone at that time. So in a nutshell, I haven't I haven't got it all wrapped up or summed up yet. I swear, Andrea, I have, I'm, I'm on the road. <laughs> but the more I feel that I become visible, the more people see me, even children. You know, I, I have children who come up to me on the estate where we are at the moment. I like I'm visiting a partner here and uh, 
children come up to me and say like did you know you've one leg and like with these big eyes and they say like you've got one leg and I'd say yeah I do and they say why what happened and they look so worried about you and like it's something so strange to them and I would just look at them with a big smile and say like look it was removed because I was sick but I'm grand now look I can walk actually really fast on these probably walk faster than someone else on, on two legs sometimes I'm so fast on these and and they would just suddenly go oh, okay that's grand so and they run off you know and they're, they're, that's it maybe the next time they see an amputee they won't be shocked or they won't be as um you know just scared even scared of someone different so I suppose when you put it that way I want to be that person that kind of you know hopes to help people see that I'm I'm no like no one we're not different like it's not I could be I was I was two-legged you know I was normal quote unquote I was fitting in and yet you know I, I, like no one should be able to see that as it's not outlandish you know that way like it might look different to the average but I'm it's still me you know so I'm trying to show people that uh it could be I don't mean it in a morbid way but it could be you it could be anyone anytime that this could happen yeah. to you don't you know you're not born not some people are born with a disability and some people aren't but it's not that different <laughs> you know that's all I'm trying to say you know mm. no I love that because especially the, the the image of the children because I know exactly what you're talking about it and and I love the way the children can ask a question you know what happened you know and you have to answer you know well you know and, and but but yeah it's brilliant and then your answer will carry on because they would be able to say, oh, I met the, the lady from down the road, you know, you know, she was sick and now she's fine. Brilliant. You know, move on. And but, it, <laughs> yeah. but if we can if we can talk um, and that's why I wanted to talk to you as well, as well as many other yeah. reasons. But but if we can talk about the fact that that unfortunately you had to go through 10 years of hell and now you're much better, however, without one of the limbs. But what, the way you're describing, the way you're talking about your your life is and I, I I don't really believe in that word inspiring as such, but it's 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 important. It's really important. It mm. can be of inspiration to other people because it's um yeah, it, we don't talk about it enough, right? We we try to avert our eyes, we're trying to go with yeah. you know that sense of oh, feel sorry for time. I don't want to feel sorry mm. for anybody. You know, I don't want to feel sorry for anybody because it's not necessary. If we can talk about it as we are now, perhaps we find a better solution. So one question I want to ask you, and I hope uh, it's okay to ask you, because I, 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 I know another amputee, a, a lovely lady from Donegal, a girl, Nikki Bradley, and she's done wonderful things. She, she does wonderful things. She, she, before, you know, Nikki, before she did, before she had a leg amputated, she was doing all this crazy training with the, with the English army and the Welsh, over the Welsh mountains mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. But anyway, she's fantastic. But so is everybody else. <laughs> like she's great and she's out there and she's yeah. <laughs> but, but what the one thing I'm really curious about is the moment you have to make that decision. And I guess that's perhaps where you can be of help to the next person where you need to make that decision. It's been 10 years, a long road. This isn't getting better, isn't getting any better. I got the best possible surgeon. He's done the best possible job. However, it's not working. Decision time. Can you recall that time? Now that this this is actually quite an easy one for me because it wasn't a decision. It was almost taken out of my hands. And I will say this, it was life or death. And I'm not saying that to be dramatic. It, well, life or limb in this case. 
because the oncologist that took over my, well, she, she and the surgeon worked together, but she was a wonderful woman in Dublin. And I'm so glad that she pushed my case. She had seen that she saw the operation. I looked like I was getting better, but she insisted on doing a scan and a biopsy, you know, at the point where everyone had said, no, 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 operation's done. Just go off and do physio. She said, no, I, I, I insist. This is so strange that it came back. I want to be sure. And she insisted. And, and when I came to see her, of course, I'll never forget the appointment. I was with my mom. And she said, um, do you want the good news or the bad news? <laughs> and uh, funnily enough, the good news was that I wouldn't have chemotherapy because I kept telling her I will not go. <laughs> I don't want to go through that again. She said, you don't need that. And I went, oh, good. She said, yeah, but you need to have your leg removed. <laughs> oh, so then it was like, bang. And I was like, OK. And I said to her, I remember saying I was in such so, a shock. My mom also I said, that's the worst news I could ever get. And she said, no, I'm so sorry. I don't, I'm not contradicting you here, but I just, she was, had this really sad look on her face. She said, listen, if it had been in your lymph nodes, if it had been your body already, that's the worst news. We have a choice. We have a choice now to save your leg and to save, to save your life. We take your leg, we save your life. So that was, you know, in the end, she said like, no, no, the good news is we have this choice now, you know? So you will not die if we do this, essentially. So, you know, not to go too dark on this, but that is that's the point I was at. Um, so there was no question. The only thing I said was, do we need to do it immediately? And she said, no, you could have, let's say, like, we'll, we'll book it in as soon as possible. But what do you, when I said, I'm going to go and travel, I'm going to travel around Croatia, Montenegro for a month. Again, another thing that I had planned, there seems to be a, a, some kind of a pattern here that I have mad news and then I go off and travel. But I'm so glad I did. Because and I did it, my my partner of that time, um, we went off together, you know, and we just traveled and traveled for for a month around Croatia. And it was like, sure, I was in pain and everything, but I saw the most amazing, beautiful sights. You know, I took in so much of it and I remember all of it. And I have these pictures of me on my both of my legs, you know, albeit massive scar on my leg, but I was doing all the things. And then I went and had the, the amputation. So it felt like a kind of a big hurrah, you know, like a last. <laughs> and a, like, again, a la the end of that period and then the beginning of a new one, you know, so. Um, and Tanya, you if I can ask you, because it's uh, it's fascinating. I think this is really important. So again, I have all these pictures in my head, you in this beautiful parts of the world, Montenegro and Croatia, coming back knowing where you're coming back to and then waking up and you're you're still you right but <laughs> you know that the next picture you're going to take it will be slightly different than the previous one oh, what yeah. was it like waking up that's mad it's it's yeah funnily enough um again i suppose it's all relative but i because i'd had the operation three months previous that took eight hours and i was on a cocktail of drugs i this time was quote unquote easy because it was just it was done quickly I was done now in fairness I woke up and I felt so bizarre I felt like my leg was still there a lot of people talk about that my mom came in and sat on the bed and I went ah! <laughs> get off because she was sitting on on nothing but it was my leg still and you know and yeah no it does it feels like it's there for quite a long time after and that goes into phantom pain and that was it that was I can't say I can't lie about it being a, that's horrendous but I got up and had a look in the mirror and it looked like I'd been photoshopped out. That is genuinely what it looked like. So I was like, where, where's my leg? <laughs> it was that feeling of so bizarre. It is very weird. And I cannot quite describe that, but I know I felt like a completely different person, but at the same time, as you say, not, you know, not different, but 
you had to get this whole new image in yourself, you know, and the balance. I mean, the balance is completely like, where is my cat? You know, there's no counterweight. And suddenly and you have to learn over a lot. Like I actually left the hospital after five days because I was apparently in such good form. And, you know, physically I was fine. But then, of course, the mental, the, you know, the catch up is enormous. Because, I mean, you do things like you get out of bed and you just try and walk for, you know, you, or you go up the stairs, you like try and use your left leg. And luckily that got less and less and less over the years. But um, in the first few months, sure, there was there was phantom pain and there was that feeling of like, again, I don't want to go into I don't want to go into like massive details. But um, as people might say, you just feel like you kind of have a pain that you can't stop because there's no physical source, as you can see. And your brain just, I mean, you've had, I had that leg for, at that point, I can't remember what age I am. <laughs> doesn't matter. I had that leg. <laughs> I'm now leg 37, but yeah. I'm, now, <laughs> I'm now 37, but I can't remember what age I was. Anyway, but I'd had it for, a, uh, <laughs> there you go. I'd had it for a lot longer than I had. So my body was kind of, kind of and yeah, and funnily enough, now I, I had, I had medications in that. You can take medication that numbs it, but I found that medication numbed me completely. You know, because you have to take um, a cocktail and over a few months time, I started to forget. I, I would lose my memory of what I'd done in the morning. And that started mm -hmm. to that just I said, no, that's it. And maybe luckily, because I'd had the 10 years previous of put it this way, pain. I had pain and I had to deal with it in many, many ways. Had a lot of therapy. I already had coping mechanisms that came into play. And after a few months of medication, I said, no, stop. No, basta. <laughs> I have no, like, I just don't want any more. And I decided to go for all the other options, you know, like meditation and relaxation. It sounds twee, but it's not. Like the core, the core of yourself that is still there, you have to kind of reach into that and pull out like a box of tricks, you know. And I just thank God again for all those volunteers and the cancer support. Like just people who were there to listen when it was all crap. <laughs> um yeah. yeah so that it got better over the years yeah um and that sounds sounds wonderful what you've done and what you've done up to now and it, you you seem in great form and you seem very yeah. full of life and a load of ideas on <laughs> i know you i know cancelling is one of the areas you i don't know whether you're already qualified or you're gonna qualify in and you're planning uh, to... i i actually now I had a year of uh, doing counsel, a counselling course and it was online and some of it in person in Dublin. And I, it was one of the best things I did. I didn't choose to continue it at the time because I didn't feel ready to go in for the full degree. I just time wise and financially, all of that. But that was invaluable what I learned over that year, you know, just kind of because a lot of it is self-work. A lot of it is like digging into your own past, which is deep stuff when they ask you a question like, what's your biggest fear since you're a child? Oh, let me get started. Like, you know, or, you know, <laughs> how many fears? What? Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll get, I can go into this. So I did a massive deep exploration and it continues onwards. It's, I don't think it ever ends throughout your life, but I don't think anyone could like, doesn't need counseling. If I'm honest in this world, I don't think anyone, but you have to find someone you click with. And that's the thing. I was lucky enough to find someone who stuck with me for a very long time and, I finally got to the point where I said, that's okay. I'm, I'm okay without you. And that was a huge step also to say, I'm, I feel, I feel all right to continue my own journey on my own, you know, mm. and, uh, and then there you go. And there's, and, and the other side of it is actually the aerial and the dance because they were a big lifesaver because within a year of that amputation, I felt the need to reach out to some, to, to, to someone who was doing creative things as a disabled person and I remember my sister saying, I said, I'll never dance again. That was one of the things I said after the amputation. And one of my friends just said, knowing you, that's rubbish. Like, that's rubbish. You're going to dance again. 
<laughs> and she, you know, I just, I sure reached out to this group called Creek Lawn and they're based in West Cork and the woman who runs it and Tara Brandle. And uh, she has the hidden disabilities herself, you know, but she had this group that she always wanted people to dance in it who have, let's say, cerebral palsy. There are people in wheelchairs. There was a double amputee that was in it. And when I saw that video and he was dancing, oh, he was just dancing all around the stage, almost break dancing style. And then in the wheelchair, out of the wheelchair, I cried. I cried because I thought this is it. Like I, it's possible again, you know. I know that it's possible and it's out there. And this was the only thing I knew of in Ireland at the time. And I was just like, all right, I'm going to write to her. I'm just going to do it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'd like again, within a, a year after that, then I did a workshop with her. And it just gradually got to the point where we started working online. And then, of course, the pandemic, nobody wanted that. But yeah, just still managed to get in touch and be part of their group. And then we were performed in 2021 in the port, at the Port of Cork. And I was able to dance and sing uh with a microphone across the rivers of cork it was just it was ah it was amazing it was mind-blowing experience it's brilliant when uh, <laughs> when we did the live podcast with paddy slattery and richelle timothy um, yeah listen paddy, to that paddy one said, love it yeah paddy says Loved a thing uh, i'm paraphrasing but he says you know the moment he had the accident his body stopped but his imagination started you know you know the imagination opened up and you, you said something similar earlier on when you know, it's funny to say, but the moment I had to take the decision, then all of a sudden, you know, I had to come out of the shed. You know, all of a sudden you're visible to the world. <laughs> you weren't yeah. up to that point. You were kind of, and, and 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 is this helping you with your creativity? It's just you know the kid coming oh. up to you and say, "Look, what's happened? What well, what's what's yeah. it doing to you to be visible?" It's huge. It's it's actually made me learn so much about like uh, the positive side of it all because it's it you just. Initially, I was terrified. I was like, I just want to hide in my house, you know, to the point where I cut my own hair. And I was like, within the a few months, the amputation, like, it's awful. Like that kind of feeling of like, I don't even want to go out to the hairdresser. But thankfully, I did and didn't end up <clears throat> staying in my house. But over the years, like, it's just come to the point where I'd rather be that person that someone else needs. And it's actually one of my, the, the, funny, you mentioned the Phoenix Wings. And the Phoenix Wings was actually directed and edited by my friend, Bieta Bygard, who's the love, she actually works on Fair City, but she also makes documentaries. She's from Czech Republic, but she's lived in Dublin for a long time. Lovely woman. And so, you know, passionate about, like, getting people's stories. And she's filming a documentary about me, which has been ongoing for a few years now. And so she's also been filming me doing the aerial up in Fibsborough in Dublin. And there's a company there called Taking Flight. And they just wanted to actually use people. They want people with a disability to feel welcome in their studio. And I was one of the guinea pigs. You know, they just like, got in touch. And again, through the dance group. And someone said, well, they want a guinea pig. And I said, like, I'm here. I'm, I'm ready to go in. <laughs> and a lovely teacher, Hannah, who just, just is so open to everyone coming in and trying this. And I've been doing aerial silks and hoops and cocoon and just that kind of feeling of freedom you get when you're up in the air and you could be anybody, you know. You, and she said, I make these interesting shapes with my body that she couldn't do because she's got, you know, it's one extra leg, I suppose, or whatever. <laughs> it's like, you know, I live in this funny biped world. I have to navigate all these strange two-legged um, humans. But yeah, <laughs> no. But anyway, there's just that feeling of the more exposed I get, the more I feel like, I kind of have to be and this friend Beta who's been filming me and she's also been doing like you know we've been talking about the difference of people and the fact that we're not so different and I told her she filmed me and of all things I said I look fat in this video and I apologize to anyone if that's triggering because I've had that since I was young you know I had that from my own mother god bless her you know there's that woman thing of like I don't like it I don't want you to put it out there and um, she said okay that's absolutely your choice but think about it 
which is more important, like what you're feeling in this very moment right now or what it's going to be for someone out there, what that inspiration is going to be in the future. Like, do you think it's more important? You know, you're totally you're totally allowed to take it offline. But how important is it that someone sees this and then sees that you're smiling and you're trying things and you're out there and God knows, maybe it'll help someone else who's curvy and not like the average. It doesn't fit into the average mold, whatever. You know, she said, I'm sick of seeing these skinny. <laughs> Again, no offense to anyone who's naturally skinny, but you know, these are all bodies that are meant to be accepted. There's no, there should be no judgment of any of them. And I'd love if someone saw me and I know a lot of amputee women, God, women already have enough hang-ups about their looks let's 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 just make it normal you know to just to just try things and just give it a go because it's just I felt like my life was spent way too long worrying about not doing something for fear of failure or for fear of someone judging me you know badly for that and I just I feel like it's too short now you know let's just I just need to give it a try you know and so I'm going it. to do an artist residency next week, actually, in, in the in West Cork. I was oh, very nice. I'm very honored to be doing so in, in the West Cork Art Centre in Skibbereen. And I don't even know. I'm just gonna go out and try whatever I can I can show the world, you know, we'll see what comes of it, you know. I have a friend filming me as well and we'll see what comes out. If people find something helpful from it, then all the better with that. Uh, I love that. I love the. I love your awareness of uh, everything you're saying. You're quite. Uh, you know, every word you say, you're 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 conscious of the fact that you're saying a word. It doesn't matter whether it's skinny or fat or curvy or or you know that, <laughs> that particular service didn't work when I was there. You know, I know. I love. I love mm. that. You. You. The, the reason there is no judgment. Things that happen. Mm. You know, the phone call that you made at the time wasn't answered in time. It's nobody's fault. Mm. It just happened, and you, you wish it went yeah. a different way, and now you want to change that. Now, a couple of quick mm -hmm. questions before I let you go. Sure. One that I'm always Absolutely. curious. So, so I meet you. Let's say I, I'm I'm walking down Wexford and I, and I go to the local supermarket. And you happen to be there. You happen to be there doing some shopping and and you with your crutches. And I'm naturally it doesn't matter whether you're on crutches or not. I always feel like you know I can I can be of help if I can be of help. But what 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 would you like people? How would you like people to to interact with you? Mm -hmm. Hmm, that's interesting. I actually get asked that quite a lot um, because I know there are people who are very um, sensitive. They don't want to help someone in case it looks demeaning or it looks um, condescending. And I completely understand. I would say maybe just uh, it's kind of nearly common sense, I suppose, if if you see someone that's on crutches and uh, literally it means that your hands are always occupied, open the door for them or ask them, can I open the door? You know, I don't think that you can cause any offense that way. You know, if you just say, can I help you or are you OK? You know, there's you don't have to kind of swoop in and pick up stuff. Like I will say there's a fine line when I was out doing shopping. It's happened twice in a row now where I went out and I get these five liter bottles of water every now and then, <laughs> you know, when I can't get the well water from a friend and um, pick them up with one arm because I am incredibly strong, as, as you'd imagine, in the upper body. But I just pump them into the trolley. I have five of them. Put one onto the till because you don't want to put them all on. You say there's five. And the people behind me, there's been a person that started putting the rest of the bottles on for me. I had to stop them and say, look, I do actually know what I'm doing. It's OK. I thanks for your help, but please put them back in. <laughs> I don't need that kind of help. No, but it's more like if you I'm actually I have I have a logic to this. But I think people it's, it's just asking. It's just you can just be kind of common sense. about it. Look, can I help you with that or. Um, you know, are you okay as you are? And I would never take offense from that. You know, I think that's perfectly nice. And to be honest, when people have not helped me because of fear, 
then it's awkward because you're stuck trying to open a door with your hands full and you're, you're dropping everything and you feel like, you know, that that's more difficult. I'd love to know that people were actually caring and wanted to help me. I would I would find that a, a good thing. You know, I would appreciate that. That's brilliant. Yeah. Now, the last question <laughs> I have for you, going back to the Lego, using your analogy, of the Lego, <laughs> is, yes. is there a plan for a prosthetic leg in the future? Oh, I never said, oh, it's, it's a funny, I feel sorry for my prosthetic leg that I do have. It feels like it was just not mentioned, poor thing. Um, I actually, I'm looking at one in the room. I have my old one here with me and it's covered in butterflies because I they had the option to have colorful ones. And my I got two legs. I began with one, which was a mechanical, used it for a couple of years, very difficult. Second one I actually fundraised for, hence why I've been on interviews before. And I, they brought it from Germany. And I, it's actually electronic and you can connect it to Wi-Fi on your phone, Bluetooth, you know, it's all very high tech, but it's still essentially a bucket on a stick. <laughs> Let's put it that way. It's made of titanium. That's fantastic. It does respond a little bit. The knee kind of doesn't let me fall and things, but essentially it goes around my waist. I have no, I have no joints left to use it with, you know, so essentially a hip prosthetic. It's they've done some uh, advancements. It's not it's not still a bucket and a stick. I just I don't want to be offensive about it. I love it. I love that it gives me the option to go shopping. If I'm holding a trolley, I can wear it. If I'm at home, I can do the chores. I can do a lot of things. But essentially, it's it's heavy. It's clunky. There's still no way around that. And hopefully at some point there'll be more, you know, there'll be there'll be something more. But at the moment, the, the prices of it are, are prohibitive and you just kind of have to work with what you've got. Um, and I'm so grateful that I did fundraise and that people did help me to get this really good one. But at the end of the day, you use a lot of energy to use it. And I'm actually a lot quicker and, and lighter and nimbler on crutches at the, as a general rule. So that's how I generally get about. And I'm kind of okay with that. And I think sometimes you have that kind of crossover where people see you, they want to see you on two legs because that's kind of the norm and it would make them more comfortable. There is a general feeling of that. And that's fine but I don't need it to feel comfortable in myself anymore. You know, that's brilliant. I'm okay that's brilliant. with being a, a tripod. That's really a fast well, tripod. I, 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 <laughs> well, I'm uh, delighted that, that uh, you know, it, it is humor is important and, uh, and, uh, and it's yeah. great that you're using it to your advantage. And obviously, and I, I didn't know you when you were a teenager, but from when, how you described mm -hmm. it, uh, that self-confidence is bursting out now. Um, for all yeah. the, perhaps <laughs> all the wrong reasons but uh, but you know, you're, you're very <laughs> confident okay. and you, you're gonna have this wonderful yeah. uh this wonderful Thanks. uh residence down in Skibarine and, and many more Thank and the, and the, and the, the documentary whenever they'll come out would be fantastic so yeah, look, all I can say so. is just uh, <laughs> it's been amazing to have you on, and thanks Thank a million you. for sharing your story. It's uh, oh, it's really pleasure. really interesting to hear firsthand, you know, firsthand account. Thank you so much. No, and it was great. And uh, yeah, Thank you for so having keep me. in touch. And uh, best of luck with <laughs> Same. everything. Thanks so much, Andrea. I really appreciate it. And take care. And just yeah, thank you. Thanks to everyone. <laughs> no Thank you. I'll talk take to you care. Soon. Bye, Andrea. Bye. 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 Yeah, I'm doing okay. Mind you cover.